Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. We know that you're called the word, the word of God. We pray that we would encounter you in this message, you in this service. We're so grateful for the ways that we have encountered you already, and we pray that we'd continue to do so. It's in your name we pray, amen. Last week we talked about the gift of God's presence, how God's presence really is a gift, and how we need God's presence in our lives, our church, our town, and that we receive the gift of God's presence through a mediator, through Jesus Christ, and through grace, by grace. And there's ways that we can seek to have God's presence in our life. Today we're continuing to focus on the theme of God's presence as we wrap up the book of Exodus, because that's what the book of Exodus is all about. It is all about the story of God's presence with his people. But today, we're not going to look just at the book of Exodus. We're going to look at the way God's presence has come through the story of the Bible to us today. So we're going to look at a, a lot of scripture going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Last week, we kind of almost jumped from you know, the book of Exodus, God's presence to us today. But this week, we're going to take a journey. And there's a reason for this. Uh, it's kind of like the difference between a road trip and a business trip. Right? With a business trip, you want to get there, get your job done, get the project complete, and go home, right? You're not really there to see the sights, see the sounds. Maybe there's a little bit of that, a little bit of going to restaurants. But in a road trip, well, it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey, right, where you see the, the sights and the sounds and the food of the places that you journey through. And there maybe there's some historic landmarkers that you want to visit along the way. Today, we're going to take a journey. We're going to take a road trip through the scriptures following God's presence from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. So it's going to be a really long sermon. I'm, I'm joking. It's, it's not going to be. But before we dive in, I also want to point out that we each go through our lives, and our lives are also kind of a journey, aren't they? And at some points in our life, it is, it is clear when we can see God's presence. God is there. If you, if you know Christ, you know God, and you're like, wow, I, I sense God's presence. But there are long stretches of empty highway where you feel like you are alone. And as we look at the story of God's presence through the scriptures, we can see that even when God doesn't appear to be there, when he seems to be absent, he is still unfolding a plan. So if you're going through something right now where you, you just feel alone, remember God's presence. And let this story, the story that unfolds, be an encouragement to you individually. So let's begin in the book of Genesis. The very first couple of verses of the Bible say God's, God's spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters, over the surface of the deep. And then we see God call into creation this beautiful world, this beautiful creation. And the most special aspect of all about this creation is that God is with people. That's what the Garden of Eden is all about. It's not just really nice landscaping. It's really it's an experience of God's presence communing with people, with the very first people, Adam and Eve, walking together in the garden. But what, of course, do Adam and Eve do? They sin, right? They, they eat of a forbidden fruit. And that might not seem like a lot to us, but really what they're, they're saying is, God, we trust ourselves. We choose us over you. And because of that, God's presence was then broken with people. 
And God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. He put an angel to guard it, saying, no longer can you come into my holy presence. But even in the book of Genesis, God says there's going to be a rescuer who's going to come. One of the descendants of Eve, a a, a rescuer is going to come, defeat the evil one, and restore people into the presence of God. The whole story is about, uh, the, the whole story of the Bible is about God's presence coming to us. God's presence coming once again to dwell with us just like Eden, but actually even better than the Garden of Eden. So let's look at that first idea of the presence of God coming. So how does God begin to unfold this story? In the book of Genesis, we not only see Adam and Eve leave the garden, but a few chapters later, we're introduced to a family through which God's presence is going to be restored to people. And this is the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the, 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 the forefathers of the, the Hebrew people as in the story of the Bible. And God says to Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going I'm to bless the whole world. And the story of Exodus that we've been in uh, since around Christmas time is the story of those Israelites. The Israelites are the descendants, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God introduces himself. He pulls them out of bondage uh, in Egypt. And, and right after he delivers them from slavery, like literally right after they have left Egypt as they're journeying to the Red Sea, we see something magnificent. God reveals himself as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this is like the first manifestation of God's presence with his people that people can see and talk to. And Now, God has talked to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but now suddenly a whole people group is seeing God. And they're, they're relating to him through Moses, who's kind of their, their mediator once again. Now, God's presence here is more like a travel guide, right? He, he leads them through the Red Sea. He leads them to Sinai. He communicates at Sinai. But in order for God to be with his people, something needs to change. God needs to have a way to dwell with his people. And this is where the story of the tabernacle comes in. The tabernacle is a tent. It's a meeting place. It's a holy place that God can dwell. We see in this tabernacle some garden imagery. The lampstands shaped kind of like the tree of life. It's meant to remind us of Eden, of the garden, that God's presence is coming back to his people. And we see the tabernacle completed in roughly 1444 B.C. So we're going to be looking at a a timeline. This is roughly two years after the Israelites left Egypt. Moses Moses, uh, completes the tabernacle. He, He inspects it. He consecrates the priests, Aaron and his sons. And then he places the Ark of the Covenant in it, in the covenant, he places in the ark. And the covenant is the, the Ten Commandments. And it's an it's a, a, it's a, a inscription of God's agreement with the Israelites that if they obey and trust him, he will dwell with them. And after Moses kind of finishes the, the ceremony of, of erecting the tabernacle and putting it up, he, he leaves. And this is what happens. Exodus 40, 35, 34 through 35 says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Notice how it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle two times. We're really supposed to, to, to recognize this. Glory means like a visible manifestation of God's presence. That cloud is coming again. That cloud that led them out of Egypt to Sinai is descending on the tabernacle. Everyone in Israel would have known that God was at the tabernacle, that God had a new address in town, and it was right there. This is amazing. The triune God, the Trinity, has come to dwell with one of the poorest nations on earth. Ex-slaves, people that have just been freed. The glorious one is dwelling among humans. And God continues to dwell with them. So we're leaving the book of Exodus now and we're going uh, forward. The Israelites get to the promised land that God's calling them to. They sin, they disobey. God consigns them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But even though they have to wander in the wilderness and that generation dies out, God doesn't leave them. The tabernacle continues to go with them. That cloud of fire by night and, 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 and just a cloud by day continues to lead them forward. God is still with them. Moses dies. Another leader raises up, Joshua. But after he dies, the people begin to forget. They begin to forget the goodness of God and everything God has done for them. And when they begin to disobey, God sends four nations on the Israelites. And this is like the story of the Old Testament of those, those nations all around attacking them. And God uses that to return them to him to remind them that they they need him. And they cry out and God restores them. God sends judges. Eventually he gives them a king. The people ask for a king, even though they don't really need a king, do they? They have the presence of God dwelling among them, but they want a king. And so God gives them a king. And almost 500 years after that initial tabernacle was built, The second king of Israel, one of the greatest kings, King David, says, I'm going to build you a home, God. You're living in a tent. I'm living in a palace. I want to build you a home. I want to build you a temple. And God says, thank you, but I'm going to have your son do it. And Solomon builds a temple, and he completes the temple in 953 B.C. Takes him seven years to build this temple And when he finishes it, when he completes the construction and he brings the the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle and there's lots of sacrifices and they step out of the Holy of Holies and the priest exits, this is what happens. 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So what do we see here? We see God's presence coming to the tabernacle and then transferring to the temple. And now it's wonderful. It seems like God has like a more permanent home with his people. Remember what makes the Israelites special? It's not their goodness. It's not their wealth. It's not their power. It's that God's presence is with them. And this is like a permanent structure saying, oh, God's going to be with us forever because we have this permanent structure. The presence of God comes. And it's amazing, inside this temple, there's more garden imagery. There's, there's flowers, and there's petals, and there's fruits. It's like a little piece of Eden is plopped down right in the middle of the people. God's presence has come to them. Now, this is a significant event. It's hard for us to imagine now, when we first started Cornerstone, for about the first year of ministry, uh, we did a new movers mailing list. 
We decided not to do it anymore, but what, what it was, was is we would just send out like this postcard once a month to all the new people that moved into Westford and like five miles around. And uh, it turns out that's about 139 households every month, which seems like quite a few households into the region. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hear about those 139 households. Maybe you'll meet them if they come to the church. We had a family come because of them. Or maybe you'll hear about a new family in town because they move onto your street or they join a social club or maybe one of your children befriends them at school, their family, and so you begin to get to know them that way. But you don't hear about 139 families. Like, you don't get that list of who moved into town, do you? Now, what if, like, a, a, a politician, like a senator or a governor or a past president moved into town, set up shop in Westford or wherever you live? Do you think you would hear about it? Probably. Maybe it would come through the grapevine. Or maybe a celebrity, famous Hollywood celebrity decides, ah, oh, Westford is the place to be. So they buy a house. Do you think you would hear about that? In my, in my town, in my hometown that I grew up in of Estes Park, Colorado, there was like an urban legend that Sandra Bullock had a, had a home outside in the mountains, like in the woods, in the forest. And uh, we, we never know if that's actually true. I never saw her wandering around my hometown. But there was rumors now, what if God's presence came down? You saw this huge cloud and thunder. Do you think people would know? <laughs> Do you think we would all know that if God moved into town? I think we would. For the Israelites, they know. They know God is in town. God is my neighbor. <laughs> God is in my little like, iPhone address book. I know where he's at. He's at the temple. He's in Jerusalem. That would have been really reassuring, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be as worried about, you know, the, the Jerusalem stock market. <laughs> you wouldn't be as worried about, you know, those foreign invaders, what you see on the nightly news, because, well, God's presence is with us. I feel, I feel safe. I feel secure. But what if God didn't stay? What if God left? Well, this is what happens in the next part of the story. The presence of God goes. See, at the end of the Pentateuch, so at the end of the letters that Moses wrote, he says, there are blessings if you obey God's law, and there are curses. And the worst curse of all is God will leave you. See, if you disobey him, God's presence will leave your people. He will abandon you. The Israelites, as they go through their story, they continue to disobey God. They, they don't trust him. They dishonor him over and over and over. And then one day, a prophet named Ezekiel gets a vision of God's presence leaving the temple. This, this vision happens in 592 B.C. This is the departure of God's presence. Ezekiel gets this vision of like this heavenly temple and, and the presence of God uh, is over the ark and it, it rises from the ark and it goes out into the courtyard and it goes to the east. And I want to read you these scripture verses and they're easy to like gloss over when you're trying to wade through the book of Ezekiel, but these are some of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4 and 19. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple 
And the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. And while I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. And they stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them. They're out in the courtyard right now. They're in the temple. God's, God's glory cloud, God's presence is leaving. The next verse is, Then the cherubim with the wheels behind them spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. This is massively devastating. God's presence has left his people. His people aren't special anymore. They're not his people. They're a people. They're not the people of the God. They're they're rebellious sinners. And their God has left them. And spiritual devastation, spiritual absence, the absence of God in their lives leads to destruction. In 586 BC, the temple is destroyed. Just a couple years later, the king of Babylon comes and he destroys the temple and he takes the people away. We each need God's presence in our lives, don't we? The absence of God's presence in in my life, the absence of Jesus, it leads to devastation. And the story continues. The presence of God departs and he doesn't return, but in 539 BC, God sends the exiles home. They come home from Babylon. Great news. And by 516, they build another temple. But there's something wrong in this second temple. This is 70 years after the first temple was destroyed. And we read this in Ezra chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. I'm going to read this, and I want want you to notice that there is something missing. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. If we were to read the following couple of verses, we would see that there was sacrifices, that there was celebration, there was a dedication, but there was no cloud. The glory of God does not return. The glory of God is absent. There's reason to celebrate the temple is rebuilt, but God isn't there. It's empty. God stays away. God is missing. When I, went, when, I was at, when I was at seminary, I went to Gordon Conwell up in Hamilton. There was a speaker at the chapel, and he was giving a talk. And he was a doctor, actually. And he, One of his points he, he was illustrating, he was talking about the absence of things we need. And he put up an x-ray, an x-ray on the screen, and I wish I had it. But on this x-ray, he said, you know, can you see what's wrong on this, this chest x-ray? And you look at it, and there's like no cloudy masses. There's, there's no like clearly broken bones. It seems okay. And of course, you wouldn't expect a whole bunch of seminary students to do very well at this anyways. We're not doctoral. We're not like medical students. But he said even medical students had a, had a difficult time figuring out what was wrong with this x-ray. It wasn't the presence of something, it was the absence. There was a bone that was missing in the picture because it was covered up, if I remember right. It was was obscured. It was the absence of something that said something was wrong. It is the absence of God's presence in the temple that says there is something wrong. God isn't here. This needs to be fixed. There needs to be a solution. 
See, this absence is, is meant to, to make us feel something. It's meant to make us, like our, our hearts stir. We're meant to long for God's presence. We want the story to have a good turn. We want God to come back. We want God to be his people. And this, this is what we should feel today, that when we, we feel like God is far away in our lives and we don't know where he is when it feels like a cold, long New England winter, <laughs> and you just want summer to be here, did any of you feel that way this winter? You were posting pictures of like the nice summer on Instagram in February. You're like, why isn't it warm out? Why isn't the sun here? This is what we're supposed to feel. We're supposed to long for the presence of God in our lives. God wants that. He gives us these, these times of, 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 of desert highways so that we can long for the oasis of his presence with us. Even before God doesn't return to the temple, God gives the Israelites a message of hope. This is similar to like when, when Jesus, when, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, what did he do before he kicked them out? He gave them a message of hope. He gave them the first gospel saying, someone's going to come, a rescuer's going to come. Four years earlier in 520 B.C., a prophet named Haggai, he's one of the reasons the temple got built. But he prophesies this. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. There is hope. My friends, there is hope. Because God is saying, I'm going I'm to do something even better than what your brick and mortar building can hold. I'm going to send my presence. But what if the winter, what if the New England winter lasted 500 years? Summer came after 500 years. That's about what it was for the Israelites from the time they built the temple to the first fulfillment. The first coming of God's presence in a new and a spectacular way. And I bet you can all figure out the first fulfillment of this promise. It's Christ. It's Christ Jesus. Roughly 6 to 4 BC, believe it or not, he probably wasn't born on 0 AD. But around that time, we don't know exactly when, the Son of God was born. God took on flesh <laughs> somehow in the mysteries of of, of God, God became a man in Christ Jesus. And what do we see? We see John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh, the Word is Christ, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what the word dwelling means? It means tent. God has, has pitched a tent in Christ Jesus. Jesus has, has, has joined the road trip. He has brought his camper. And he, he is traveling with us now. He is traveling with humanity. It's at this point in the story that each of us need to ask a question. Do I want God to, to set up camp in my life? Do I want Jesus to, to set up camp in my tribe? The story of the Bible is meant to provoke this question in our lives at this point. 
See, we can, we can experience the presence of God once more after this long absence, but there's only one way that we can experience the presence of God, and that is through Christ Jesus. There's no other way apart from him. No other religion, no other system of spirituality will give you the presence of God. But Christianity will through the person of Jesus Christ. See, Christianity isn't just like a prayer of conversion and I get my fire ticket and I'm ready to go, my fire insurance. It is a lifelong camping trip. What do I know about camping trips is that you get dirty. (laughs) You get out in the sunshine, it's good for you. Maybe you get sunburned if you're me every once in a while. But if God's presence is going with you through this long journey, it makes it worthwhile. No matter what you're going through, whether it feels like sunshine or rain, if the presence of God is with you, through Christ we can do it. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you feel like, man, uh, I'm not very excited about Christ anymore. Like I'm not very excited about God's presence in my life. Well, last week we talked about how can you seek the presence of God in your life. And I mentioned four ways through worship, through being here, through prayer, through fasting, uh, through reading the Bible. But another way, a simple way, is just to remember the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God sent his own presence into the world to take the punishment for our sins. As we went through communion today, we heard the gospel. The presence of God spilt his blood and his body for you and for me. Jesus is the presence of God. And that's, that's astounding, that's mind-blowing, but it's true. He is the Son of God. And he rose again to newness of life so that one day you and I don't have to stay dead. We get to experience eternal life, a good life without sin, without encumbrances. God is good. And this is the story of the gospel. And the final aspect of the gospel is that the presence of God in Christ, like his life, covers my life. So that when God looks at me, he sees himself. And he is good. He is holy. So we don't have to be weighed down by sin because we're forgiven. Long for the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Have that desire for Christ. Remember the gospel. Fulfillment number one is Christ. Fulfillment number two is the church. The second fulfillment comes uh, uh, not long after Jesus ascended into heaven. And what does it say? It says they they went to Jerusalem and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they were gathered in this upper room in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple had been before. They gather there. And something really special happens. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus promised he would send his Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, say this. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that same cloud, that same, that same fire all the way back at the tabernacle that, that led the Israelites out of Egypt suddenly is now descending on the followers of Jesus, on believers, on those that, that trust Christ with their lives. And there's kind of two anointing, there's two fillings. There's this filling of the Holy Spirit of God's presence in individual believers' lives 
in each one of those disciples, but then there's also a filling of the church. This is kind of like the beginning of a new era, <laughs> that God's presence uh, is, is present in his church. No longer do we have to travel to a specific lo- geographic location to find God. God finds you, enters into your life, and enters into our lives through this church. This has some interesting applications for us. Do we like know and do we live like we are housing the presence of God in our lives? <laughs> the Bible talks about us as individuals that you, your body is a temple of God. That means my body is a temple of God. This temple gets sunburned and, <laughs> and breaks down and, and, and does good things but also does sins. Are we living as if we're temples? The words we say and the interactions we have. We're holy places. When you get out of bed in the morning, you are walking on holy ground. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus. But there's also another temple, and that's the church. See, I believe that as we gather together, and as we do this thing, as we worship, this is more than just a social gathering. This is the presence of God in a special way. See, there is the church scattered, you know, Sunday through Friday and Saturday as we go about our lives, but there's also the church gathered. Do you savor the church? <laughs> Do you want to be here? Do you want to come and experience God's presence in a special way? One of the reasons we come to church, you know, when you grow up, you're taught, your parents kind of drag you to church, but hopefully one day you make a transition where you say, I want to be there because I want to experience the presence of Christ in a special way that I cannot experience on my own. I believe that to be true because Christ died for the church that his presence also fills the church. And that's the motivation for coming. It's not a sense of guilt or a sense of law. It's a sense of, I want to encounter the living God. So the first fulfillment is Christ and then a few years later, it's the church, 30 AD roughly. But there's a third fulfillment that hasn't happened yet. And that's the final fulfillment is eternity. <laughs> and eternity is going to happen at an unknown hour when Christ returns. At the book of Revelation, this is the last book of the Bible. We've gone from Genesis the first to, to Revelation the last. In the second to last chapter, there's this vision that John another kind of prophet-like character has. And it's the vision of a heaven, of, of an earth, a newly restored and like refurbished earth and heaven meeting. Revelation 21 verse three says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his God and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know what the word dwelling in this means? It means, you guessed it, tent. It means tabernacle. God's presence will be with us one day. It won't just be this church. It won't just be you as individuals. It'll be the whole world. It'll be the universe. God will be here. And he will be, uh, sin will not be there. Sin will be gone. God's kingdom, God's, God's presence will be here among us. And a few verses later, it says there's no temple in heaven. <laughs> there's no temple in this eternal place because God is the temple. The lamb, Christ Jesus, they're the temples. 
And then the next, the final chapter, Revelation 22, it says there's a tree of life. Water flows from this tree. See, one day, you and I are going back to Eden. But this Eden, this garden, where we get to be with God's presence is way better than anything we could ever hope, ever dream, ever imagine. And it's this good news that should give us hope. Do you see where the story ends? Each of us have our own stories, those things that we're going through where we feel like God is present or God is absent. And when we're going through those events, those circumstances, sometimes it's overwhelming, right? It's that 500 years of winter. But if we know the story has a wonderful ending, doesn't that give us a little bit of hope? If we know that we are going to dwell with God forever, doesn't that give us courage? I pray that it does. Long for the presence of God, long for the presence of Christ. In the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's this fantasy. There's a, there's a talking fawn, so it's like this half man, half goat. And he's describing what's wrong with Narnia. See, there's winter in Narnia, and it's always winter time. And he says, it's always winter and never Christmas. And it's because there's a witch, a witch that has cast a spell over the land. This land is under the, kind of the, the presence of sin. God seems to be absent. See, there's a king of this land. His, land, his name is Aslan. He's this lion figure, but he's gone. He's not there. But later in the story, there's another character, a talking beaver. And the, the beaver shares this promise. It's like a rhyme, but it, it's, like a, it's like a prophecy. He says, this is what will happen when Aslan comes. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Christ's presence, Christ's presence is here with us through the Holy Spirit in a special way as we're the church, as we're followers of Christ. But one day, one day that we don't know, Christ is going to return. It's going to be beautiful, it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be the beginning of a whole new journey, of a whole new story, where we will walk through this story with God face to face, never having to fear that we will ever be taken out of his presence. Long for the presence of God, long for the presence of Christ, long for the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to want you. We want to desire you. We want to, to seek you with our lives, to seek you with our hearts. Lord, would you fill us up in a special way? Would you renew us? Would you give us that, that special Holy Spirit presence that, that encourages us? And Lord, I pray specifically for those that are in a winter. Would you make yourself known to them? through brothers and sisters in Jesus who can encourage them, through prayer, through your word, through the gospel, through fasting, whatever it is, Lord, would we seek you and would we experience you and know you. Lord, I lift up the offerings. They're a, 
there are sacrifice of, of praise back to you, would you help us give generously and trusting you? It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.